0: So, yeah, here we are, Episode 2. Uh, Lacey Kemp, how you doing?
1: Oh, it's been a day, man. How are you?
0: I'm, do- I'm doing well. It's been a day here, too, although by a day, I mean it's sunny and 60 degrees out on Cape Cod, and I have spent most of the day shackled to a computer, so I'm living someone's dystopian nightmare.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... I think overall, you're in a good place. I think you've got a nice location. you got the sunshine. I'm going to pretend like the rainy Northwest weather is instead the Cape Cod <laughs> sunshine. So I'm going to live That's vicariously fair. through you. Yeah, <laughs> You should.
0: I also have a fresh bottle of tequila next to me that I just went and got. So things are looking up. There you go. This week's episode, uh, our second guest on the Kona podcast is your friend Gretchen. Tell me a little bit about her. How'd you meet her?
1: Gretchen Leggett is amazing. So many years ago, I would guess probably 2011 or so, I wanted to do this project. I had it named in my mind. It was going to be called Parallels. It was going to focus on athletes that were spectacular, both in sport and art. And I had seen some of Gretchen's artwork. I was living in Seattle at the time. Um, I think she was had just moved to Bellingham. And I tracked her down and, and I made her come meet me at Coulson uh, Brewery. So I I could tell her about my desire to profile artists and athletes and kind of figure out how their sport and art intersected. And she was totally game, which was great. The project ultimately never came to fruition in the way that I wanted it to. It did manifest itself into a a film project later, but with a different artist. But with the genesis of this program that, that that we're doing at Kona with the Ambassador Program, we do focus on a lot of really incredible artists that are also cyclists. And Gretchen is at the top of that list. She is basically known as Bellingham's muralist. She's painted, I think, eight or nine incredibly large scale, massive murals in Bellingham. She's painted the largest mural in Washington State. It's something like two football fields long. Her work is very uh, whimsical and fluid. And she has always said that she likens the lines of painting with the lines that you would see when skiing or riding a bike. And she's a freaking beast on her bike and on her snowboard and rock climbing like the girl can do everything she's just totally a total enigma and it's been a real pleasure getting to know her better
0: with that said we're gonna get right to it here's myself talking to Gretchen Leggett
2: hello how's it going
0: good how are you great Gretchen Leggett where are you are you you're in Washington
2: yeah I'm in Bellingham Washington the upper left USA
0: And I heard a rumor, we're just gonna jump right in here. I heard a rumor that you are personally responsible for the largest mural in Washington state. What is that about?
2: This is the truth. Yeah, um, a few years ago, I was asked by a friend at Puget Sound Energy to take on the largest mural in the state of Washington. It is the length of two football fields by 60 feet tall. And (laughs) at first I said, hell no. I had only done a few small murals before that, and he wouldn't take no for an answer. Um, he kept on bugging me until I finally agreed to uh, take the project on.
0: That is amazing. So how do you, how do you ideate something that big?
2: Well, it's, it's so funny. It always starts with a small drawing, and the, uh, the problem is how to get it on the wall And for that huge one, I turned to a local graffiti artist, a buddy whose work I admired from afar named Max McNett. And I approached him and let him know that I have this huge, huge, huge wall that I was incredibly intimidated by and he looked at it and said, oh my god, the bigger the better! So I'm like, all oh, right, you're on team. So uh yeah, for that one, Max was a phenomenal resource. He basically taught me how to spray paint on the wall, so I picked up an incredible skill set on that actual project. And yeah, we were on it for about a month, but we're talking five to seven days a week, 10 to 12 to 14 hour days. Yeah, it was it was insane. We were we had tunnel vision, but we <laughs> pulled it off.
0: That's incredible. Now you've also done a mural at Kona Bikes, is that right?
2: Yes. Uh, last year I was able to finally get my hands on that wall. Um the Kona Bike team was absolutely incredible. I had had this vision for many many years, this dream of Endless flow trails and an astronaut just throwing a sweet tail whip right in the center of it. I had just had this vision, and I approached Kona, and said, "Can I please do this?" And of course they were open arms, so I was able to put that up in October. That was definitely a passion project. Now, how do you?
0: Where do the ideas for your murals come from? You just see a wall and they like pop into your head?
2: Yeah, for a lot of them, they are um, site driven. I pull from the shapes and the designs and the architecture for a lot of them. I play off of different colors that I see in surrounding areas. I put up a massive sundial mural on a beautiful south-facing wall in downtown Bellingham, and there was a gorgeous older mural of this kind of rainbow rendering of da Vinci's Last Supper. And I pulled the, from the colors of that piece into mine, and the outcome was absolutely incredible. It got me outside of the confines of my own palette preference and definitely inspired a new style of work. So yeah, a lot of my murals are driven from the surrounding um, design elements that I see. Others are just driven by my interest at the time, and for example, astronauts throwing tail whips.
0: <laughs> uh, when we spoke before, you said that you had become a full-time artist how did that progression happen? How did you come Mm -hmm. to art and how has that come to be your job? And what does that mean exactly that art is your job?
2: Yeah, so I taught visual art kindergarten through eighth grade for the last 12 years. And throughout that entire experience, I was also making my own work, but just, you know, on a small scale and having coffee shop sales and a few art markets, but really not making it my primary source of income. And it's funny, I saw quite a few women that I was teaching with having babies and taking maternity leave. And I knew at this time, I'm not going to have a baby and my creation is my baby. So I approached my principal and I, I asked her, Megan, I'm not having a baby, but can I please take maternity leave or something like (laughs) it? I I have a lot of art that I want to make that I really need to foster. And she just cracked up and said, you know, you can apply for a year leave. So I, I was absolutely astounded and immediately took up that opportunity. And within the first month of taking that year leave of absence from teaching, I put up the largest mural in the state of Washington, that gigantic rendering of the North Cascades mountain range. And um, as that was such a massive piece, it definitely got a lot of publicity and was in the public eye. And it was hilarious. Within a month of putting that up, my phone started blowing up with other businesses interested in getting um, murals on their walls. And it was just simply incredible seeing how just that one painting in Bellingham transformed the opinion of street art for local businesses it caught like wildfire because people were able to recognize the positive impact that public art made on this space. For example, where I put that gigantic mural, that was a pretty shady area. There are a lot of people living on the street down there. We found we cleaned up the bushes before getting on that wall and putting up that piece, and we found over 100 needles in the bushes. It was just really trashed and um Once we got that piece up, it had completely transformed the space. It became a meeting place for running groups. A ton of people are down there weekly filming. Like I've seen multiple music videos in front of that mural. It's just a gathering place and it's a place of positivity now. And there are still people living down there, but they now have pride in the place where they're living and they are now taking care of this space where they are living now. The positive impact has been profound and it's catching on for other businesses. So I I see a huge, huge, huge benefit of street art these days. And I I guess I'm reaping the benefit as an artist, hitting that, hitting that market. So I've established a career over the past two years making um, mural art and of course other smaller pieces, a really fun project that came out of that mural the large one. So that massive mural is, as said, the length of two football fields It's a gigantic, very long, wide mountain range. And while I was painting it, I was thinking, wow, this would be a sweet sticker. So just a very, very long sticker. And I came up with the idea on that wall of creating the infinity sticker, which is an extra long sticker that overlaps itself as it wraps around a water bottle. And with that idea birthed the Hydroscape stickers. It's a company that I launched about a year and a half ago and it took off and we're now in over 60 retail stores all of which are currently closed, except for my online store. But um, we just got into (laughs) REI, which I'm really stoked about. So just very grateful to have found different niches to get my art into people's hands globally.
0: That's amazing. You're obviously incredibly creative. How does that carry over to cycling? And you said that there was a great story to the progression of how you got into cycling and where you are in cycling
2: now. Yeah. So how I got into cycling started... My senior year of high school, I had grown up in a very athletic family. I mean, my mom was taking us to mountain bike trips in Moab while I was in middle school. So we had always been riding, but um, it was never a real passion of mine. It was just something that was ingrained in my blood. It's what we do. But my senior year of high school, a fluke accident happened while I was in jewelry class ironically in jewelry class i was yeah sorry i didn't searching. mean to laugh
0: it's just when you say <laughs> no, a freak no, accident no. happened you know you don't expect someone to be like in jewelry class <laughs> sorry go on a
2: freak accident in jewelry class no i i've always been an overachiever in the arts and of course in jewelry class well everyone is making their small rings so i decided to make a copper plated table <laughs> Amazing. so i was sifting through plywood in the wood shop closet and um 40 sheets of plywood, 44 by 8 sheets of plywood fell on me and crushed me. I cracked my skull and my right foot got caught under all of the wood and shattered into a million little pieces. Took five surgeries to put it back together and I didn't walk for eight months. Now, this was my senior year of high school when the world is your oyster and you feel invincible. Yet here I was incapacitated i was in a wheelchair and on crutches for month after month and i felt my my walls closing in until i discovered bicycles i couldn't walk i couldn't drive however i figured out how i could strap my crutches onto my bicycle and ride and my bike became my emblem of freedom i was 18 years old and that was my only Pass to any freedom, and um, that seed was planted. And a few years later, my middle school art teacher, my biggest mentor of all times, Rick Stigler, had a heart attack. He was a pretty—he was a—he was a large man. He had a heart attack, and when he recovered, he got his kids. Uh, Lexi was in middle school. Devin was in high school, and he he convinced them to ride bikes with him from montana to mexico and here i was you know with this with this passion for bikes just due to my own experience and seeing this this larger man and his young kids on this epic bike tour and i mean that was long before bike touring was hip and i just thought that is the <laughs> coolest thing that is the coolest thing in the entire world and i off on my own bike tours inspired by him and his kids and it hasn't stopped from there
0: where have you gone to I've heard you've done some mm. pretty epic solo trips
2: <laughs> yeah I have bike toured across seven countries my first big tour was in my Early twenties, that that was kind of the catalyst. I had done a lot of weekend trips and week-long trips around the Northwest. Had ridden down the coast to California, which is just such a fun beginner's tour. I will be doing that for the rest of my life. But uh I in my in my mid twenties, I think I was 24. My first true love broke up with me, or we broke up. I I was pretty I was pretty heartbroken from that and. I had really gotten into bike touring and rock climbing at the time. And I thought, you know, as a rebound, I'm gonna go on an epic quest alone, combining my two passions. And so I packed my climbing gear into my Ortlieb Panniers and I set off from Seattle, where I was living at the time, I set off to connect Squamish to Banff, to iconic climbing spots and I really had no plan. I just had a hammock, a stove, my climbing gear, and I brought my sketchbook and my watercolors and just set off to the open road. My parents thought that I was absolutely crazy. Oh, my poor mother. I I still (laughs) apologize for putting her through that. I was gone for a month and a half, rode a couple thousand miles, and um, really saw the light. Um, For the first time in my entire life, I experienced silence. I experienced myself. Uh, I think that's something that very few of us provide ourselves the opportunity to face, and it was mind-blowing. It was my Siddhartha enlightenment moment, or as close as I'll ever find to getting there. I really grew as a person and, of course, found out what I, I discovered what I was capable of accomplishing alone, and so that initiated uh, and inspired other trips. The year after that, I headed to Southeast Asia with my climbing gear and rode Vietnam, Laos, and Thailand, climbing on the limestone karst along the way. And a few years later, I partnered up and my boyfriend and I rode across the Alps with our bicycles and climbing gear and we were, our goal was to link up the top 10 classic Alpine climbing routes in the Alps from France through Italy, Switzerland, and Albania. And we, we got about seven of them. So <laughs> stoked with that. So yeah, I've done a bunch of trips all around. The past few years, I've been focusing on America, on North America. So a gravel trip to the Wind Rivers. To climb and a gravel trip to the bugaboos to climb.
0: On your solo trips, climbing and riding, do you ever get nerve? I mean, climbing is something where you can get hurt pretty easily. Are you ever concerned for safety? Have you ever had any close calls?
2: That's a great question. So I don't climb alone. The wonderful thing about climbing is being able to get to a spot and meeting like-minded people to climb with. You can just partner up pretty easily. It's more challenging in the alpine, but it can been done. Being a a solo female does have its benefits in that <laughs> domain. So yeah, I, d- I do climb with partners when I'm on the road. I would say one of the greater fears when I'm alone on the road are, are humans. The human element is pretty creepy to me. I, I do a lot of stealth camping and my goal when I'm bike Touring and bikepacking alone is to just disappear as much as I can at night. That's my greatest fear. I'm not scared of bears. I'm not scared of mountain lions. I'm scared of humans.
0: Have you had any scary run-ins?
2: I've been really fortunate and I personally have not no, I've I've sure met some creeps along the way, but I've also <laughs> <laughs> right. have met absolute angels, trail angels, and just beautiful people. And I'm glad to say that the majority have been those, the latter.
0: That's good. If you had to think back over all the trips that you've done, what would you say is the raddest or craziest moment, adventure or misadventure that you've had?
2: Ah, those are all wrapped up into one trip, and that was um, this past summer. (laughs) My wonderful adventure partner, Robin, and I decided, yeah, our goal was to ride from Bellingham to the Bugaboos Provincial Park in the Canadian Rockies. And I had plotted out the route... Uh, to go along the great trail. It is the Trans-Canada Trail. It's a beautiful trail system that goes from Vancouver Island all the way to the East Coast across BC. Now, the research that I did, I was expecting it to be a rails to trail. The section that we were doing from the West Coast to Central uh, Rockies appeared to be pretty fair gravel, low grade, nothing too crazy. When we got on it, uh, I'm not going to exaggerate. And I need to say that the first mile took us three hours. It was (laughs) overgrown. (laughs) We were definitely the first people on it of the season. Uh, Walls of nettle and blackberry. There were huge sinkholes, huge washouts, and we were loaded because we were carrying our climbing gear. So it was definitely not lightweight bikepacking. We were on rigid Kona Sutras, uh, which are the best bike for the situation that we got into. But we ended up on some gnarly single track with huge panniers, which is what you've got to carry when you're carrying your climbing gear. But we sandbagged ourselves. Every day was a struggle. I think the greatest takeaway, I mean, those are the trips that are memorable. If it's yeah. all a cruiser, then you're not gonna, it won't stand out. But that was the absolute best and the worst of times. But we persevered every single day. We might have shed some tears every single day. We laughed our asses off and we, we made it. So that was the highlight.
0: Do you normally ride the Sutra? Is that your go-to bike?
2: Yeah. I rode a Bianchi Volpe for a long time when I was predominantly on roads. And my interests have transcended into more gravel riding. So the Sutra is my dream stallion. I put a dropper on it. I have WTB gravel tires and I am just in love with that bike. The geometry is perfect for getting into some single track. I'm happy to take it on any cross-country mountain bike trails and it can carry a heavy load, and it just feels super stable.
0: The Suture is my go-to bike, too, and I actually have a 650B with, like, 2.3-inch mountain bike tires that I throw on it every now and then.
2: Oh, perfect. And I yeah. haven't
0: found much that I can't rally through, you know? Unless unless it gets really gnarly, that bike can hold its own, which is so awesome. Definitely. Bike packing, especially extended bikepacking trips with a significant other, is it a good idea or a bad idea?
2: It will definitely test your relationship. (laughs) You'll find out a lot about your relationship by backpacking together. I I think bikepacking with anyone, whether they're romantic or just a friend, you learn a lot about each other. And that is the most important decision to make when you're planning a bikepacking trip is who you're doing it with. I've been on trips with the good, the bad, the ugly, and of course the best. And there's a lot to learn. And... (laughs)
0: Can you suffer
2: together? I mean, we know misery loves company, so. (laughs)
0: There's something about like day four where like any veneer of stability, whatever facade you people put on to like plow through their everyday life in normal society just completely falls away. And you definitely see what lays beneath that.
2: One hundred percent. One of my
0: favorite parts of any extended trip. Absolutely. Fall apart and rebuild. (laughs) I think it's good for people to do that. What comes out of it or comes out of you is Positive or negative, I, th- I do think it's good to kind of strip yourself down to that level every now and then and, and take take personal stock.
2: I would totally agree. That reminds me of my partner and I, when we first started dating, we decided about probably a month and a half in, we decided to go on a three day bikepacking trip and he let me plan it. And of course, I was puffing my chest, trying to be the cool girl, and you know, <laughs> planned a radical trip. It was only ninety to a hundred mile days with about six to ten thousand vertical feet every day. he was he was like, "Oh, you want to do that all right? Um <laughs> let's try it and i I had planned in some bailouts, you know, we didn't yeah. have to do it, but that was the objective, and oh ho, ho, how we suffered together. And by the end of that trip, oh, man, it was a struggle. That was, um, yeah, up in the Chilliwack, which are not forgiving mountains in Canada. <laughs> and by the end of that trip, we were just dying in laughter. And we, we had both agreed, we're, go- we're gonna we're going to make this relationship work. We made it through this. So we're solid.
0: That's awesome. And this is the person you're still with, I assume.
2: Yeah, yes. Yeah. How does
0: cycling carry over to your artwork? How do they inform each other? Is there an intersection there?
2: Absolutely. The flow state. And I know that this is a word that is thrown around so often. It's kind of cheesy. But seriously, I mean, why do I mountain bike? Why do I snowboard? It's to achieve this like beautiful, graceful flow state that just is uplifting. It's it's absolutely graceful. And I think that is an element that I like to carry into my artwork. I really focus on lines and how they move in energetic ways across my canvases and across my paper. And I really do capture that or I attempt to. It's this this parallel between the actual movement that I do while riding and while climbing, these graceful movements embodied in my line work.
0: Now, if you had to give someone advice or if someone was wondering if they hear you say flow state, if you had to inform someone as to how they could reach that level with their cycling or in their day-to-day life, what advice would you give them?
2: I would say the primary source of achieving that state is to just keep doing it. Mountain biking for a long time really intimidated me. Of course, I got the token broken collarbone and a concussion when I first started. good old badge of learning how to mountain bike. Yeah, I, I think I had shrouded riding in fear for quite a while. And I I didn't really know the technique all that well for for the fir- first few years. And of course, it was bumpy, it was hard. And finally, after doing it enough, after learning it enough, I, I was able to figure out that aha moment of just really sitting back understanding the technique and the dynamic and just achieving that flow state. And the same goes with any sport, whether it's snowboarding, skiing, climbing, you just have to do it enough, not even master it, but just get comfortable enough with it to be able to sit back and enjoy it. And I think with bike packing and bike touring just takes getting deeper into it. I do not find that I achieve that flow state on a one or two day bikepacking trip. I, I've discovered that the golden. The golden ticket is a three day trip or longer. Where you lose yeah. sight of the end in the beginning. And you're just in it.
0: I agree with that. You, it gives you a chance to to forget about things like email and all that. Like It's far enough away that you can kind of. It stays away. You can get that.
2: That is such a good pretty. point. Absolutely. And one of the. The. Biggest challenges, I think, for myself and others, is disconnecting, and I I really like to make a vow when I'm on bikepacking trips to just turn off my phone, put it on airplane mode, and absolutely disconnect the second that I start <laughs> posting how do you or start. <laughs> after <laughs>
0: kidding. After <laughs>
2: no, but seriously, um, it's tempting because that's ingrained that's ingrained in our systems now. But yeah, I think it's it's really, it's challenging to get away. It's, it's so tempting to just check that email. But no, I think the most important thing is dedicating all focus and all energy to the act.
0: I agree. I'm a photographer and I hang out with a lot of photographers. And we found that on bikepacking trips, uh, we leave digital cameras behind and shoot film because then you're kind of stuck just in the act of getting that photo, but then you're forced to just move on with it. It makes you stay in that moment a little bit and you can't get nostalgic or revel in what could have been or try to perfect some moment that was already perfect, but in your head, maybe played out aesthetically differently or something like that. Your to is going kind to of take it as it comes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the same goes, it goes to say the same with art, like in this world where we are over inundated with information and inspiration You know, as an artist, you can just get swayed by other cool things that you're seeing online. You really, you have to shut those off just to maintain an authentic voice. It's really easy just to get caught up in these kind of mainstream popular styles or, you know, it's just so blatant. All of this information that we're getting, how easy it is to rip it off. And it's also easy to collect information on what sells and how we can sell. Yeah. I think there is a true struggle as an artist, and I'm not sure if you find this with your photography, but there is a true star- struggle to retain an authentic, genuine voice.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's funny. It's unconscious where, and, and it used to happen just looking at, I'm really into zines and, and photo books and stuff. And it used to happen collecting zines and looking at other people's work. Like you kind of subconsciously start thinking in that aesthetic. And I think there's a certain mm-hmm. level of that that's natural and, and lends to a sort of progression or homage. But especially with the way Instagram works is what I think is scary. Find yourself tailoring Definitely subconsciously, but sometimes certainly consciously, tailoring what you're doing towards what gets more people tapping on their screens, and I and I don't think that that's healthy creatively or psychologically. To be honest with you, I think that you just wind yeah. up everything's just going to wind up looking the same. Yeah, um, but Absolutely. it is an easy trap to fall into.
2: I know there's there's always a good side and a dark side of it, and the the good side is that there is a great level of inspiration. For example, with bike packing, you know, seeing a girl out there bikepacking alone. Hopefully that inspires people. Hopefully that turns other lady riders on or male riders. You know, I think that I was inspired by my overweight art teacher <laughs> in his middle school, <laughs> And his middle schoolers. You know, the, I mean, inspiration is golden. And so we, we can't discredit that. Yeah, I think it's all about just finding finding a balance and finding your own path.
0: Totally agree. Well, what do you have next? What's your summer hold for you, assuming we get to leave our homes?
2: <laughs> you know, this has been an interesting year. I was lined up to be painting murals from March all the way through September, back to back. And a lot of those have been canceled or delayed. Ironically, my two biggest projects of the summer were in Kirkland and Brooklyn, the the start of the COVID virus and the hotspot of the COVID virus. So obviously those are delayed so yeah, I'm really just hunkering down and focusing on my own artwork right now. I had quite a few bike trips planned and I'm just not sure where those are going to go, so I'm just taking taking every day at a time and I think right now I'm just focusing on planting seeds in the ground. <laughs> that's my that's my main objective right now, growing my own food. <laughs> Physically or
0: metaphorically or both?
2: That's a great question. Both. <laughs> No, seriously, I'm, I'm making, I'm building my dream garden right now. I'm using this time to, I'm fortunate enough to have a bit of land. So I'm building my dream garden right now and cultivating the earth. I am also cultivating some passion projects in my um, own art, which I normally don't have time to do because I've just been so stinking busy with commission work and mural work. So it's been really a quite a golden opportunity to slow down on that front and just focus more on my own personal work, which I've really put on the back burner. And as you probably know, as an artist yourself, it's just so important to give yourself time. So that's been a big highlight. Another just really beautiful gem of living where we are. We're fortunate enough to be able to ride bikes from our back door on some beautiful trails. So been riding every day and just trying to stay sane and I you know that balance of just having internal time having recreation time having creative time I think that's a beautiful trifecta um what we are missing is community but it's 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 been nice just turning inwards for once I hope to carry that balanced trifecta through the summer and see where that goes
0: well Gretchen, thank you so, so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And It is
2: my um, pleasure, James.
0: Any last words you have for the the Kona audience at large? That sounds so final, last words. Anything you want to leave <laughs> this with for the Kona
2: audience? Uh, thank you so much for listening, everyone. And I hope that all of you are having some opportunities to get on your bikes and to smile throughout these trying times. So I wish you all the best. And I appreciate any support that people are giving each other. So, thank you.
1: Talking shit about a pretty sunset, blanket, and opinions that I'll probably regret soon.